Are we live already? Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church, both online and in person. Happy New Year. This is the Lunar New Year weekend. For those of you who didn't know, you know. Uh, probably a lot of us this year are having different kinds of plans, and that's normal for this time of year uh, now with COVID. Uh, and I'm here because of COVID as well to give us a few of our protocol announcements in case anybody here hasn't been with us yet. We just want you to know uh, what we want to do as a community while we're together to keep everyone safe and to keep yourself safe. We ask that you keep your mask on over nose and mouth for the duration of your time here while you're in the building, unless you're up on stage, in which case you're allowed to take it off. Uh, if you need to use the washroom, they're out the doors to the left. Uh, we ask that you keep it to three people at a time. So just take a peek. Don't look in the stalls, but just take a peek and uh, get a sense for how many people are in there already. And if you need to wait outside until someone comes out, just do that. We're not going to be monitoring it. And finally, uh, we are asking, we are still doing our social distancing in the room. And so please respect the, the white um, roped off rows. We ask you not try to go through them before or after service either, because we've had some folks trip before. We don't want anyone to get hurt. And so just uh, respect the rows and distances. And then as you're seated throughout the, the room, please keep one seat between groups if possible. Okay, I'm gonna invite up CF. Thank you, Pastor Josh. He's taller than I am. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, this is the lay that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. My name is Chin Fui, and I'd like to welcome you again to Fraserlands Church, both those who are here in person, as well as those online. If you're a regular attendee, welcome back. If you're new to our church, we bid you a special and warm welcome. And if you have any questions or would like to get connected with our church, please fill in the digital connect form on our church website at fraserlands.ca. Or you can just scan the QR code that is out there in our foyer and that will bring you to our website. Let us stand and greet each other, seeing as Pastor Josh said just now, it's almost Lunar New Year. Maybe we can do a Chinese version of the greeting, like this, okay? Or if you just prefer, just wave to one another. Okay, please be seated. I have a few announcements to make. Firstly, there is a baptism service on April 17th, which is also Easter Sunday. Baptism classes will start next Sunday, February the 6th, online via Zoom. The deadline to sign up is today, January 30th, so please send Vivian, our church administrator, an email if you want to sign up for the class. For more details, please refer to our church website. If you're unsure about getting baptized, you're still welcome to join us at the class. You may find your answers to some of the questions that you may have. Our next uh, announcement is uh, our baby dedication, which will be on February the 20th. The deadline to sign up for this is February 13th, so if you're interested, again, please contact our pastors, Josh or Ben, 
at that um, email address over there, and they'll take care of you. Our next uh, alpha starts on March 30th, and we have a short video clip on it. We share things every day, things that are meaningful to us, that entertain, inspire, or challenge us. We share moments, good or bad, big or small, because what we share matters. We have the chance to share something incredible, the hope that has transformed our lives. And today, more than ever, People are searching for hope, for connection, for meaning. The life we've experienced in Jesus is available to our friends and neighbors, and it's easier to share than we might think. Over the next few weeks, we are running Alpha, an opportunity to share Jesus with friends, family, and colleagues in person or online. Each week, we'll connect with each other, watch a short video, and have time to discuss our thoughts and questions without needing to have all the answers. All it takes is a simple invitation. Share life, faith, hope, Jesus. Who will you invite? Good morning. Uh, I'm, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I just want to underscore what that video had said. So. I look at my phone, and it tells me today is January 30th. So we are launching Alpha uh, in God's providence on March 30th. So that's two months. So that means uh, if you are a member here at Fraser Lands, if you're a regular, um, if you care about the gospel and the gospel spreading, you've got two months to think about who you might invite. Uh, Alpha is uh, for everyone, uh, people who are hostile, people who are keen, people who are searching, people who are new, even people who want to discuss the Christian faith. And uh, I just want to encourage you to ask God over the next two months, is there somebody that you would like to invite to Alpha? Is there somebody that you might like to come to Alpha with? Because lots of friends find that a very comfortable thing to do. Let's make a quick note. We're not sure whether it's going to be in person, online, or a hybrid. Uh, this is COVID dependent. We are currently planning for it to be online. Uh, sorry, we're opposite. We're currently planning for it to be in person. And it's going to be very easy to transition it to online. So if we do have bad COVID numbers in kind of late March, we'll just put it online. And if things are... Uh, okay, and the government's letting us uh, meet in person, then we'll do that. So um, if you're interested in Alpha, we'll, uh, you can email myself or Monica Lai, who is the person in charge this year. So yeah, I just encourage you to think about who could you invite to join Alpha this year. Thank you, Pastor Ben. I will be praying for the offering later. And just a quick note that we are no longer using our offering bags to collect offering. And if you have brought your offering, please place them in the offering box right at the back of the sanctuary over there between the two doors. Or you can use the alternate ways of giving as is shown on the screen. If you are a guest with us, you are welcome to give, but please do not feel obligated to do so. We're just happy that you are with us here today. 
Let us come before our Lord in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we draw near with confidence to your throne of grace based on the finished work of Jesus Christ, so that we may receive mercy and find grace in, to help in our time of need. We are so grateful that you have given us a high priest, Jesus Christ himself, who came to this earth to live amongst us, to walk with us on this earth, to teach us your ways, who then bore our sins on the cross, and finally resurrecting from the dead, thereby conquering sin and redeeming us from death. He is now seated at the right hand of God our Father, ever interceding for us. What undeserved grace you have showered upon us, what unlimited mercy you have granted us. Grow in us a spirit of gratitude and give us a heart of thankfulness, we pray. But Father, even though you have done so much for us, we confess that we have not lived up to your standards we have missed the mark. We pray, Father, for your forgiveness, and even now we take some time to confess our sins to you. God's word promises that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So through the completed work of Jesus Christ, we are assured that our sins have been forgiven. Father, in this broken world, we have much to pray for. We bring the situation in Ukraine before you. May war be averted and the situation be resolved peacefully. In the Middle East, in Africa, in China, and in many other parts of the world where Christians are being persecuted just for calling upon your name, we pray that you will grant them strength to withstand the persecution and faith to continue to trust in you. May your peace, which surpasses all understanding, keep their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, even in the midst of their pain. We cannot imagine how much suffering they are going through, but pray that you, Lord, would grant them escape from these terrible trials in your perfect time. Lord, help us to remember these faithful saints in our prayers and also make us into instruments of your peace in this fallen world. Where there is hatred, let us bring love. Where there is despair, let us bring hope. Where there is darkness, let us bring your light. And where there is sadness, let us bring your joy. For it is in giving that one receives in self-forgetting that one finds, in pardoning that one is pardoned, and in dying to self that one is raised to eternal life. Lord, grant us the strength to walk in your ways. May you fill Fraserland's church with more disciples who are instruments of your peace, who lavishly display your love and brightly reflect your light. Believers who are willing to follow you even after counting the costs, May our church be filled with your joy, which surpasses all understanding, so that the world may see and know that there is a God who is present in this church and who reigns in this universe to the glory of your name. Finally, we want to pray for our offering. Thank you for having given us so much. We want to return a small portion of all the things that you've given us as a token of our appreciation. Teach us to be cheerful givers 
and nurture in us a constant attitude of gratitude. We pray all this in the great name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Isaiah chapter 46 says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Our awesome sovereign God is the great I am. There is no one like him. Let us set our minds to live for this all-powerful yet loving God every day to follow him and no turning back. Worship team, please lead us into his presence. Thank you, Chin Fui. Let us all stand. Would you stand as we sing songs of hymns and songs of praise to our God? Let's sing a joyful noise unto the Lord. I'm gonna teach you a song that's sort of old in a way. Maybe you've heard it back in the days of teens camp, or maybe you sing it uh, currently and sometimes in the fellowship. But I'm just gonna go through it a little bit slow with you guys because it's, it's uh, uh, the, the verses uh, run a little bit fast, but let's get you accustomed to the song. So we're going to be singing every day, and the verse goes like this. What to say, Lord, it's you give me life, and I can't explain just how much you mean to me now that you have saved me, Lord. I give all that I am to you, that every day I can be a light that shines your name. Not too, not too bad. We're gonna kick it up a notch a little bit, okay? What to say, Lord, it's you give me life and I can't explain you mean to me now that you have saved me, Lord. I give all that I am to you, that every day I can be a light that shines your name. Every day, Lord, I learn to stand upon your word, and I pray that I, I might come to know you more. I live 
Nothing compares to the promise we have in God. It's scripture reading time, so let's open our Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 8, verses 18 to 27. Matthew, chapter 8, verses 18 to 27. You can also follow along on the screen. For the reading of God's word, shall we all stand? Matthew chapter 18, sorry, Mary, Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. 
Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Verse 23, Then he got into the boat and the disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, good morning. I'm on. I've got a quote to start us off. When the Bible speaks of following Jesus, it proclaims a discipleship, which will liberate people from all human dogmas, from every burden and oppression, from every anxiety and torture which afflicts the conscience. If they follow Jesus, people escape from the hard yoke of their own laws and submit to the kindly yoke of Jesus Christ. But does this mean that we ignore the seriousness of his commands? Far from it. We can only achieve perfect liberty and enjoy fellowship with Jesus when his command, his call to absolute discipleship is appreciated in its entirety. Only the person who follows the commands of Jesus single-mindedly and unresistingly lets his yoke rest upon them and finds his burden easy. This is Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Well, good morning. We are currently doing a series on the Gospel of Matthew. And in these chapters, chapters 8, 9, and 10 of Matthew, we're seeing the actions of Jesus. This section isn't so much about his teaching, but the things he did. So we've had a few sermons on his miracles. He healed the sick. He healed a leper. He's been casting out uh, demons and evil spirits. Pastor Josh has spoken about the compassion and the power that Jesus Christ had and is available for us today. This week, there's a new aspect, a new kind of thing, a new that Jesus did. Jesus did all kinds of stuff. He did more than just teaching and miracles and casting out spirits. He did all those things. This morning, we're going to look at this other thing he did. He called people to follow him. Jesus called people. We see it in our verses. Um, So chapter 8, verse 21, a disciple comes, and Jesus responds to him and says, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. It was a a personal word he gave to many people, that they should come follow him. An invitation he made. The Bible uses the word discipleship to describe this idea. So discipleship and following are the same idea in the Bible. The word for a disciple is the idea of a learner, a student, or a pupil. So there's a, there's a rabbi 
and there's a person who wants to learn a lifestyle, and they commit themselves to this rabbi. A disciple is somebody who follows Jesus and learns the kingdom way from the Lord. The picture of discipleship is this very literal picture of Jesus walking down the road and somebody walking with him, walking behind him, uh, walking alongside him. And as Jesus walks, the person who is the disciple is listening to Jesus. They're trying to imitate Jesus. They're trying to learn from Jesus and trying to obey. Fundamentally, discipleship is about obedience. It's about obedience. Here's a definition. I've got a little definition of discipleship for you. This is from Pastor Jeff Vanderstelt. He says, a disciple is someone who is increasingly submitting their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. A disciple is somebody who is increasingly submitting their whole life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So discipleship is the process of submitting my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Friends, it's about Jesus' authority. In this, these chapters, the authority of Jesus is one of the big themes. He is authority over sickness. In chapter 8, verse 9, we, a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, had the interaction with a centurion. And the centurion says, I am a man under authority with soldiers. I tell this one go, and he goes. And he's saying, I see that it's about you. You have authority. When Jesus finished teaching the Sermon on the Mount, people said, Matthew 7, 29, he has authority. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to see in Matthew 9, 6, Jesus says this, I want you to know that I have authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus has authority over sickness, evil spirits, nature. We see the nature of Bahim today over sin. And discipleship is about Jesus' authority over me. Jesus' authority over people's lives. The discipleship is about submitting our lives to the authority of Jesus. I have found this a challenging sermon to write. The Bible teaches us that the call of Jesus comes to every individual, every person. And when Jesus calls us to follow, it is a simple call and authoritative. Jesus called Peter. He said, Peter, come follow me. And Peter dropped his nets and he went. When Jesus called the rich young ruler, he said, you must sell everything and come follow me. And the rich young ruler went away disappointed. As the prophet, what the, the wise man Yoda said, there is no try, there is only do or do not. The call of Jesus is authoritative. It's inflexible. It's not something we negotiate with. There's no bargaining with Jesus. He calls and we say yes or we say no. So today the message is this. There is no middle ground with discipleship. Only the person who follows the command of Jesus single-mindedly will find his burden easy. Jesus said, For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few will find it. To follow Jesus will cost. To follow Jesus, you will need to say no to all kinds of things you want and things others around want for you. 
and you will need to say yes to other things that you may not want. He will certainly say to you, you need to pick up your cross daily. But Jesus also said, discipleship is the path of joy and freedom. Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid the treasure again. And in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought the field. To those who hear the voice of Jesus saying, follow me, to those who say yes, they will find out that what Jesus said is true. He said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. There is great joy in freedom in following Jesus. In fact, the Bible says this is the only true joy. This is the only real freedom following Jesus. So I propose this morning we do a cost-benefit analysis of discipleship. So I've got two points, the cost of discipleship and the benefit. We've got kind of two halves, two stories, stories about the cost and stories about the benefit. And we'll need to weigh up and make a decision at the end. Okay. So the first point is that discipleship comes with a cost. Discipleship has cost to it. In this first story, in verse 18, Jesus has just completed this evening of amazing miracles, and he's walking away from the crowd towards the lake, and he gets interrupted by two potential disciples. Um, They each have a little small interaction with Jesus, and he gives each disciple a word. So there are two words, one word to each disciple, and they're both about the cost of discipleship. Call it two aspects of the cost. So the first disciple is enthusiastic. He comes up and expresses commitment. And to this enthusiastic and perhaps naive disciple, Jesus speaks a word of realism. He's not trying to turn him away, but he is trying to help him understand. So he goes deeper. Maybe Jesus senses his commitment is thin. Let's read those Brief verses, verse 18. Verse 18? If not, I'll just read it. Verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. And then a teacher of the law came to him and he said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? If I'm a pastor, somebody comes here and says, you know, I'm going to do whatever Jesus asks me. Come on in. Jesus replies, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. What is Jesus saying? When I was in university, um, I spent one summer of my university term uh, in Sudbury, Ontario. By the way, I just need to say this. I went to university a long time ago, a long time ago, long time ago. When I was in university, um, Paul Martin was Prime Minister of Canada. So some people here are historians and mathematicians, and they'll start putting together. So I was uh, with the SJ, the university students, the babies, (laughs) uh, on Friday night. And uh, I told them how old I was, and they went white. So (laughs) I went to university a long time ago. So in my university days, I had this great experience. Uh, I had a 
work term where I traveled to Sudbury, Ontario. I was there for four months. I worked at a physics lab. It was awesome. And um, uh, it was an adventure. I had an apartment that the university gave me, and I was meeting people, and I had this great church I was part of. It was a really, really wonderful time. And about half of the way through my time there, uh, two months, I had this moment where I was by myself. I have a guitar. I was playing uh, some songs about fathers. I don't know if you know the song, Father Song Song by Cat Stevens. Very emotional song. I was sitting there in my room playing the song, and all of a sudden, I missed my dad. And I broke down in tears, and I started weeping. I just started crying a load in my room. And uh, that was a really important moment for me because I realized, though I was out having an adventure, I missed home. I missed my home. And I learned what, a little bit about what home means. Home is the place of familiarity where people know you. You can go home. For me, my mom always had a box of cookies. You could always go. You could always be there. Home is where you can let your hair down, where you feel safe. Jesus is saying to this scribe, I have no home. I do not have a safe place. At least not one here in this earth. And if you follow me, it will be the same for you. You won't have a home either. Not here. Living a life of obedience to Jesus means rejecting the security that this world offers and embracing both adventure and insecurity. Jesus says, foxes have dens, birds have nests. So what's a den? You know, a den is the place where a fox goes at night to be safe from the world, to be protected. A nest is where Birds go to have their young, you know, to, to be away and have protection and safety and peace. The Son of Man does not have a bed. He literally went to sleep. He had somewhere to sleep every night. But because he was on mission, God sent him in the world. He had to go around. He entered a, a life characterized by insecurity, enemies, betrayal. He had no peace. Jesus is saying peace and security and safety are luxuries he cannot afford because of the mission. And if you say yes to the call of Jesus Christ, you're going to follow him. You also will be called out of peace, security, and safety because these will be luxuries you will not afford either. And this is pointing us to something deeper, which is that there is only one security Jesus had, which was his father, Jesus, Father God. Jesus had a living relationship with God. That gave him his strength and power and purpose. And when God calls you into new situations, you need to have that security as well. We all look for security and protection in things in this world. It's part of our human nature. We have security blankets like Linus, you know, from... Um, uh, Charles Schultz, Charlie Brown. Linus had a blanket. Takes everywhere to help him feel secure. Jesus is saying if we hang on to the things of this life, we, if we can't relinquish our grip on the security that the world gives us, we won't be able to follow him. For some people, they find security in career, job. I need to get a good career, you know? I need to do well in university 
so I can be, have a good life, security, or for my kids. I'm going to push my kids to do well in school, to do well in university, so they can be secure. This value of security by career is very often for people who've grown up in times of turmoil, because they had instability around career and money for them. And, you know, if you've got white hair, either you or somebody that you're related to grew up during Great Depression, World War, you know, for that generation, career was very important value. For some, they will look for security in a romance, love, you know? I look for a person, when I finally find that person, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be able to find peace. Um, What's common for some people is this comes out as a roving search for identity. You know, some people are always changing, changing their university focus, their job once they get a job, changing their partners, changing where they live. And underneath all this change is a sense of I'm looking for a place where my identity feels safe and security. I'm trying out all these things in my life. Some people look for security in the acceptance of people, my peer group. There are many things, there are many things people look to for peace and security. And if you follow Jesus, he says, we cannot look to these things for peace. We cannot trust them. We cannot hold on to them. Jesus does not ask us always, not always, to throw these things away. He doesn't ask us always to quit our job, to be celibate, to say no to friends. But he does ask us to release our grasp on them, to relinquish their top priority in our lives, to get rid of the trust we put on them. Because he might ask us, (laughs) he might ask us to stay in one place, and not move around. It might be difficult for my identity. He might ask me to say no to a lover. He might ask me to say no to a boss, to, to obey him. And these things are all sand that will crumble when the rain will come. So the first disciple, the first prospective disciple gets a word. Discipleship will lead him into insecurity. So the second disciple uh, has a Similar but different word. The second disciple is a divided man. The first one was kind of enthusiastic. The second one is divided. He needs to be challenged. The second disciple gets a word about priorities. The first one was about security. The second one is about priorities. So, verse 21. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. Very short. Jesus says, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. I don't know about you. A lot of the time when you read through these words, they're a little bit harsh. When I was uh, in, uh, uh, in university, remember? When I was in university, I was a long time ago. I was young back then. I was a youth counselor. Uh, and... Um, my youth pastor was this really great man. He took the counselors really seriously. He cared for us. And he, he noticed that almost all the counselors were busy. He was stressed out. And he would say to us, you know, pointing out what our lives were like. And he called us because we, you know, when I was in my 20s, sometimes you are not really following through the commitments you've made in your life. 
And he would call us on it. And he would say, you know, we're here to disciple the young people and you're not. And we would push back a little bit. You'd say, oh, I'm so busy. You know, this is happening and that's happening and that commitment, whatever. And he looked, I remember this thing. He looked at us and he said, you guys, you're all so busy. You're all so stressed out until you fall in love. And then you've got all the time in the world for her. <laughs> you know what? Absolutely right. It was absolutely right. We were stressed out. We were busy. And then my best friend fell in love and he dropped everything else to hang out with Jane. Yeah, it happens. And he's making a point about priorities, right? If something really is a priority, you find the time. If something is a real priority, it's something in your heart. It's your first concern. It's a firm commitment. A priority is where you say, no matter what else, I'm going to make sure this thing happens. And this disciple who comes to Jesus has divided priorities. So he says, let me go bury my father. He's probably not saying, I need to go arrange a funeral service. Like my father died yesterday. You know, these days we've got cremation. So sometimes we can have a memorial service somewhat late, but you know, they buried bodies. So you got a pretty short time window to get the thing done. And usually these are very busy times. So he's probably speaking metaphorically and the father is elderly and he needs care as an elderly person. That's kind of a way they talked. Let me go bury my father is saying, and he's got a few years left. I need to go bury him. And the key word in what he says is first. Let me first go bury my father. Jesus says, you are putting a priority between me and you. I'm here, you're here, and this other thing, this priority. This disciple is postponing Jesus. Jesus says, no, you must follow me. Jesus said, follow me. Following me is an urgent priority. If your commitment to your family comes before me, not follow me at all, so Jesus says. The phrase, leave the dead to bury the dead, is a bit cryptic. It probably means something like the situation is going to work itself out. There are going to be people that will take care of it. Your father will be cared for. And even you can help him. You're not supposed to reject your parents. Scriptures, just be clear here, I'm not giving you permission to go put your elderly parents in a home and uh, totally forget about them. You know, loving our parents and devotion to elderly parents is the duty of Christians. Um, so let's be clear about that. Uh, but it is saying if a priority becomes between me and Jesus, even elderly parents, that is something that's a barrier to discipleship. Jesus is calling us to make our response to him the core priority of his life. Bonhoeffer says it this way. This disciple, this is on this thing, places himself at the master's disposal, but at the same time retains the right to dictate his own terms. But then discipleship is no longer discipleship, but a program of our own to be arranged to suit ourselves. By making his offer on his own terms, he alters the whole position, for discipleship can tolerate no conditions 
that might come between Jesus and our obedience to him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Are you negotiating with Jesus? Are you haggling with him? Are you asking him to change the terms? Do you say, here is my life, but I've got this one priority I cannot let go of. You know, come into my house. You can come into these rooms, but this room, I'm keeping the key, Jesus. I'm happy with the Bible, but just these teachings I'm uncomfortable with. I'm happy to come to church, to small group, but I don't want to submit this part of my life. <clears throat> Friends, there's cost. There is cost. Discipleship leads us into insecurity and a rearranging of our priorities. Let me tell a story. Let me tell a story. I got a picture here of Dr. Sarah Williams. This is one of my professors at Regent College. We got a photo of her. Um, she, she is an amazing person. Uh, Dr. Sarah Williams, uh, I took a number of her classes. She showed me a lot of stuff when I was at Regent College. Um, she's one of the best speakers I've ever heard. Uh, in, in some of her classes, she was very personal. She shared a lot of stuff. She shared about how uh, God, Jesus Christ, called her to put her career on risk. <laughs> so I'll share this story with you a little bit. Uh, so she is an academic. Uh, she, she studied history. Um, she's a historian. She's an expert in one obscure part of Victorian history. And uh, she grew up in England, and she did her studies at Oxford. She became an Oxford Don. That means a professor in Oxford. In England, they have all these strange words for things that have ordinary words, but they say we need to have strange words. So it's not a professor, it's a Don. If you're English or have been English, you kind of know what I'm talking about. So she's an English Don, and she, she told her class that she spent about 10 years in the library. You know, she'd come out to teach a class or write a paper, but she just studied just studied. And then Jesus started sending torpedoes to her career. When you're an academic, it's all about reputation. It's all about how people see you. It's all about um, uh, publish or perish. And people are very scared to do things that will risk their reputation as academics. This is just an example. So uh, Jesus put at least four bombs into her career. <laughs> Here they are, four of them. First, she had three kids. That's not necessarily death to academia, uh, but she decided that she was going to be a part-time mom for a long season of her, uh, once she'd become a prof, which is a very risky thing to do. It was the least risky of the four. Second, she had a pregnancy uh, that was, um, uh, the baby had conditions that it was not going to survive, the doctors told her that the baby would uh, die within minutes of being born. And uh, she went through this very difficult emotional process and decided to keep the baby and bring it to term and gave birth to this baby that died minutes afterwards because of the condition. And that wasn't risky to her career. You know, it's a personal thing. What she did was, Jesus asked her to write about it. So she wrote this book called Shaming the Strong where she talks about her grief journey. And she also talks about why she decided to keep this baby, even though it was terminal, and how difficult it was to talk to these doctors, and why she as a Christian believes it's right uh, not to abort a fetus. 
and she's like an Oxford academic, and her publisher, you know, that is a risky, risky thing to do. Let me just say, I was, uh, remember, I read this book. I was on the bus um, reading this book, weeping. Remember, I was sitting right next to somebody, and I was crying. I was feeling so embarrassed. But it was such an amazing book. It was incredible. Three. That was a big risk for her to take. Three. Um, God called her to come to Regent College. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you're from Vancouver, maybe you think Regent's kind of great. But if you move from Oxford College to Regent College, that's like you're a professor of, uh, you know, computers at Oxford, and you go become the IT guy at Regent College. You know, like, you, um, that is a really foolish thing to do in terms of career. And she came, and she just started teaching. I don't know if Josh and Jenny took classes from her, but um, she was, oh, my gosh. And uh, the, she just changed my life. Man, she spoke so much to me. So kids wrote a book about abortion and her story. Uh, thirdly, <clears throat> coming to region. And fourthly, um, Maybe the hardest for her. Recently, God has asked her to write about the Christian point of view of marriage and gender in history from an academic point of view. So now she's gone back to Oxford and she's writing papers about the history of sexuality in Oxford. <laughs> she was terrified to do this. She is the only person in the whole world writing in the academic world from a Christian point of view on that topic. And all four of these things could have blown up her career. All four of these things she resisted. Jesus called her, and in all four of these things, she obeyed. And God blessed the socks off Sarah. Through her obedience, God opened up door after door for influence she never would have imagined. God taught her so many things through her, through her risking her career every time. I guess what I'm saying is, if she was holding on, if, if her career was something that she was holding on to, she couldn't make it any of those four decisions. But as Jesus asked her the first one, she kind of lets grow a grasp a little bit, and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more. And God has led her to do all kinds of stuff. Oxford secular atheist professors have come to her weeping, asking for prayer about the wounds in their life. She has had meetings with the Prime Minister of England about policy. <laughs> She's a historian. Um, she has spoken to pastor upon pastor upon pastor, opening our eyes to see things I would never would have seen. She is a prophet of her age. I think in 20 years, pastors all over the world are going to be quoting her because the stuff that she's writing right now is so explosive and amazing. I am glad that Sarah Williams said yes to Jesus over and over. Because she, if, if she had said no to any one of those things, she could, just couldn't risk her career, she wouldn't have come to region and taught those courses that changed my life. I mean it. She absolutely had to say no to trusting her career, right? She's not saying no to her career. She's known to trusting her career. It's different. She has to relinquish the security and peace that her academic credentials and Oxford title offered her. Every disciple has a different journey, a different path. We all follow a master, the same master, right? We all different families and careers and cultures and everything. 
we follow one Jesus Christ. He walked towards the cross. Maybe, maybe what I'm saying is this. The blessings of discipleship come through the cost. It's not that I have costs that outweigh the benefits. In Jesus Christ, the costs become the blessings. There are so many people for whom the cost of Jesus Christ and following him is great. There are so many disciples who've had to count the cost. I think of Muslims in Iran who face serious persecution. You know the the song we sang, uh, I have decided to follow Jesus. The story is, it's uh, from about 150 years ago, and there was an Indian disciple who was, he and his family were being killed for confessing Christ. He rejected his culture. And as he was being killed, he quoted John 12, 26. He quoted this, whoever serves me must follow me. Where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. <clears throat> And emotional when I think about martyrs. And there was a missionary who saw that Indian man quote that verse, and he wrote that song for him. That man. I think of my friends who've chosen celibacy for the sake of Jesus Christ. I think of Rosaria Butterfield, who counted the cost. Man, she counted cost. I don't know if you know her story. She had to give up her beliefs, say no to her beliefs, her credibility in her career, her friends, her partner. It was great cost for Rosaria Butterfield. I think of A.B. Simpson, who counted the cost. The guy who started our denomination, the Alliance. He was a pastor in the Presbyterian church. God showed him a vision for holiness, and he knew if he said yes to God's call, he, uh, he was going to lose everything, and he did. It cost him his job, his credibility, and his income. In all these cases, for all these people who count the cost, there is blessing. There is such great blessing, because at the end of the day, what we get is Jesus Christ. Okay, so I'm going to do my second point much more quickly. First point is discipleship leads us into cost. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to relinquish our security in things of this world, to make him the top priority, which will be a cost. Friends, it is worth it because Jesus Christ is Lord over all. Fundamentally, The cost is we lose ourselves, but we gain Jesus. We lose the yoke of our own choosing, and we gain the yoke of Jesus. We lose the freedom that the world offers, and we gain the freedom that Jesus Christ offers. In the second story, we see some disciples who have made this decision to follow Jesus Christ. And Jesus is giving them assurance that he will care for them. He's drawing them into a deeper understanding of who he is. So in the story, the disciples get into the boat with Jesus. There's wind and there's waves. It's a storm. And they're freaking out. They're terrified. They wake up Jesus. He's asleep in the boat. And he stills the storm. The key verse in the story is the last one, verse 27. The men marveled. And they said this, What sort of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This question, what kind of man is this? Who is this? Here they are, they are marveling. The disciples are amazed. They are witnessing the divine power of Jesus Christ at work. This event is a revelation. 
the storm and their fear and Jesus' power is showing them, it's stretching their understanding of Jesus is. Who is this? What sort of man is this? Now, Matthew's already told us. He's God with us. <laughs> but the point of the story is that the disciples are unaware. They've said yes to following Jesus, but they are totally unaware of who he really is. They're unaware that in the boat with them is the God of the universe who can still the storm in the waves. So when they wake up Jesus, he's quite harsh with them. So that when, he, when they wake him up, Jesus says this, Why are you afraid? Oh, you have little faith. Little faith. <laughs> Why is Jesus so strong with them for waking him up? Um, he's not mad that they woke him up. He sees in their hearts a condition, fear. And the storm, I'll put it this way, the storm is the occasion not to create the fear, but to show the fear that's already there. He calls them, you little faith. And we know it's already there because Jesus has already said this to them. Conveniently, uh, Pastor Abel, the disciples, who is this man? Deuteronomy 33, 27. The eternal God is your refuge. Underneath are the everlasting arms. God's arms are underneath us. His power and his love will catch us. You know, the safest place for those disciples in the whole world is to be in the boat with Jesus. When they were in the villages, people are sick, dying, demon-oppressed, poor. But in the boat, they were with Jesus. And in the end, when we add up the costs of following him and the benefits of having him in our life, it makes complete sense. Because as much as he asks us to relinquish our security and our priorities, as much as he takes us into uncomfortable places, he gives us so much more. Because when we follow Jesus, we are more secure than we could ever be otherwise. And we just forget it. And when we follow Jesus, we have made the right priority, the priority of our lives. And if you're having trouble seeing it, If you're saying, like the disciples, I'm perishing, I just encourage you to go to the cross, to go to Jesus, where we see that Jesus Christ gave up his security for us. You ever think about that? Jesus Christ lived a life of insecurity for you so you could have the love of the Father wrap his arms around you. I think about that verse in John 19 where Judas is about to betray Jesus. Jesus knows it. He looks at Judas and he says, what you're about to do, do quickly. Jesus knew his whole life that people would leave him, people would betray him, and he would die. And his death was insecurity writ large. But we were his priorities. The love of God is a pursuing love. It is powerful and committed to us. We have security above all things. Paul says it this way in Romans 8. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither present, nor future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. Amen. When you hear the voice of Jesus that says, come follow me, we can say yes 
knowing that we will be embraced. Though he may lead us out upon the waters and risk things that we don't want to, we will be embraced, we will be protected, we will be loved, and we will be secure. Amen. I'm going to pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the love of God of Jesus Christ. I pray for my friends here who hear the voice of Jesus Christ's call, and I ask that you will give them the strength to say, yes, I will follow. And I pray that they will know the security that is in Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, would you just stand as we sing a song of response? Our God is a mighty God. He, he is able to calm the storms. He can move mountains too. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save.
Benediction for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 12. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. May God bless you today.